Okay, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all tonight, and uh, good to have a full full house. So, anyway, it's always a good thing. We are in Matthew chapter 7, and we are going to pick up in verse 15. We started this last week, uh, but then we did not have time to finish it. So we'll pick up in verse 15. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and hopefully we'll finish chapter 7 tonight. We will see. Matthew chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse 15. There it says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that rock or against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time to be together tonight to study your word. And Lord, we do ask that you would help us to, uh, Lord, examine ourselves, and Lord, to uh, to see and to understand that, Lord, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of his Father who is in heaven. Lord, that we must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And Lord, not deceive ourselves. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to see and understand this truth. Lord, that we would take it very seriously. Lord, that we would judge ourselves truly so that we would not uh, be judged by you on the day of judgment. Lord, as well, we pray that you would give us great confidence in your word. Lord, that we would build our life uh, upon uh, your word and what it says. Lord, that we would stake our eternal destiny. Lord, upon uh, the declarations found, uh, Lord, in your holy word. So that whenever we enter into the judgment, Lord, we will stand and we will not uh, fall on that great day. So, Lord, give us faith. Lord, help us to believe these truths and, Lord, to understand them properly. Uh, Lord, so that we might uh, be faithful to you in all things. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we began last week uh, dealing with the false prophets. And really this uh, teaching about the false prophets was born out of what Jesus said in verses 13 and 14, which was the narrow gate, that it is a narrow gate uh, that leads to life, and there are few who find it, and it is a broad road that leads to destruction, and there are many who go therein, right? Because it is a narrow gate that leads to life, because there are very few who are true Christians, right? Both, we said, in contrast to the world in general, but also in contrast to fake Christians or to the false church, there are the true believers, and then there are the fake believers. And because of this, there are going to be many false teachers, many false prophets, many false pastors that are going to claim 
to be teachers of God. They're going to claim to represent God, but we have to be able to discern uh, how dangerous they are and be able to look at a person and determine whether or not they are true or false, right? That's what is at stake here. Uh, and this necessitates that we use discernment, that we use judgment, right? Many times people will say, well, we shouldn't judge others. But how can you determine whether someone is a true teacher or a false teacher if you're not judging them, right? You have to look at something. There has to be something that you look at to determine whether they are true or false. Also, how can we determine our own salvation if we don't judge ourselves? So we have to judge ourselves and we have to judge others. We have to judge one another to help each other and to determine these things. And this is very serious because Jesus warns us Right, he says, Beware of false prophets, beware of the false prophets. Right, beware because if you follow them, they will lead you to hell. They themselves are sons of hell, they're children of the devil. And if you follow a blind man, you are both going to fall into a pit, and that pit is the pit of hell. And there we saw in verse 15 that these false teachers they come in sheep's clothing. They present themselves as an angel of light, right? As messengers of Christ, as messengers of God. They say that they represent God, that they are teachers of the Bible. This is what they proclaim. They pretend to be one of us, to be like us, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So outwardly they are in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and a ravenous wolf will not be able to conceal his true nature. Eventually, what he is on the inside is going to manifest itself outwardly. And that's why in verse 16, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits, right? This is very, very serious business, but it's not something that is uh, insurmountable. It's not a task that we are unequipped to be able to deal with, right? Yes, it is serious, and yes, we have to take it seriously, but everything we need to be able to discern a true and a false teacher is given to us in the Bible. So if we're not discerning them correctly, the fault lies with us, not with the Word of God, right? Not with the Word of God, and especially in our own day, because today, I would say the greatest threat to the church is relativism. Relativism, pluralism, universalism, whatever you want to call it. This idea that we can all just agree to disagree and we can all get along. And it doesn't matter what you believe. Or as long as we agree on a few fundamental truths, then everything else is gray and fuzzy and you can just do whatever you want. Right? We cannot have this attitude and this approach to the Bible. And yet this is prevalent in the churches today. Man, this is common. It is widespread. This attitude of, of relativism in the church and what it does is it causes people to put their guard down and not to be on guard and beware of the false prophets, right? Because it doesn't matter. We're all going to make it to heaven anyway. And there are no false prophets today. This is what most people believe. Maybe there's one or two crazy ones on TBN <laughs> or, or here or there. But in a, 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 on the whole, right, commonly, all the churches are good. All the pastors are good. And everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Everyone's sincere. Everyone means well. And we're all going to make it to heaven in the end. But we cannot have this attitude because uh, it's contrary to the teaching of Christ, right. right? I'm not the one making up the narrow way. Jesus made it up, right? Jesus declared that this is the case. 
And if Jesus says it is a narrow way and there are few who find it, then why would we think that everyone or nearly everyone is going to make it to heaven? Okay, so we have to take this very seriously, both in relation to our own salvation and also in relation to those that we listen to, those that we come under. We don't want to be led astray by false prophets and false teachers. Okay, so that's what we dealt with began to deal with last week, and we were getting into the fruit, right? The fruit. That's what Jesus says in verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Right? We understand this, right? In terms of a tree, in terms of a bush, whatever the bush is by nature is what it produces its fruit from, right? The fruit matches the root or the nature of of a tree. If it is a thorn bush, it does not produce good fruit. It doesn't produce grapes, but rather it produces thorns and thistles. If it is a grape bush or a grapevine, then it's not going to produce thorns and thistles, but rather it's going to produce fruit in accordance to what it is, right? To what its nature is. And this same principle in relationship to trees, to bushes, to vines, right? We all know and understand these things. It's very easy to discern a pecan tree especially when a pecan lands on your head, right? Or an oak tree, right? Or an apple tree, a peach tree, right? You look at the fruit and the fruit determines and tells you what the nature of the tree is. And this is how it is with people. And this is how it is with teachers, right? We can know them by their fruit. So what is the fruit, right? What are the kinds of fruits that we need to be looking at to determine whether or not someone is true or someone is false. Well, the first one has to be doctrine, the teaching, right? What is coming out of their mouth, right? Are the words they're speaking true words from the Bible, or are they lies from the devil? If someone is teaching false doctrines, things that are not true, that are not consistent with the word of God, that contradict the word of God, then we know that person is a liar, that we know that he is not of God. Because how can someone who is of God be teaching and promoting doctrines, teaching that is contrary to the very word of God? So doctrine, right? The teaching, what comes out of their mouth, this must be one of the fruits that we look at and we examine in order to determine whether or not someone is a true or false teacher. And I remember asking, actually, Mr. Michael, several years ago, maybe five, six, seven years ago. How much false doctrine does one have to teach to be classified as a false teacher? And he said, one, right? One, how much false doctrine will we tolerate? How much poison needs to be in the cup of water before you're not going to drink it? I don't want any poison in my cup of water. How many dead flies can be on the plate of food before you won't eat it? Just one, right? I don't want any dead flies on my food. It's not going to be good for me. I don't want to ingest that. And so it is with the teaching. How many false doctrines that someone is teaching consistently over and over again without repentance should we tolerate and accept? And the answer is none, right? We should not do those things. Okay, a couple of passages. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. 
If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. So here the situation is a prophet, a dreamer of dreams, arises among the people, gives them a sign or a wonder, right? A sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true. Now, most people right there, they would immediately conclude what? He's a true teacher. He's a true prophet. He's a true dreamer of dreams. Because look, he gave us a sign or a wonder, and it came true. Therefore, we should follow him blindly, right? We should follow him without any reservations and not discern or judge what's coming out of his mouth. But notice here, he does the sign or wonder, and then he speaks, and what he speaks, he says, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. Now, is that teaching true or false? It's a false teaching, right? It contradicts the very first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. Right? That's a very clear, simple commandment, and everyone should know it. And this prophet or dreamer of dreams who did a sign or a wonder is saying something that is explicitly contrary to what God has revealed in the Ten Commandments. Okay? Then verse 3. What should we do then? You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you from the house of slavery, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. There the expectation is that you should not listen to him. Don't listen to him. Don't follow him. And the reason God brings this about is to test you. God raised him up. God allowed him to do a sign or wonder and brought it about. But he did all of this in order to test you to see whether or not you love God. Right? Are you going to listen to the word of God or are you going to listen to the lies of the devil? And here he expects them to be able to discern from the teaching that this man is a false prophet and even overcome the false miracle, the false sign or wonder that he performed. And follow the Lord and not listen to this false teacher, and then even to put him to death. Right. Right? That's what needs to happen to him. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Jeremiah 23. Twenty-three, sixteen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You, should, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, Calamity will not come upon you. 
But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, that he should see and hear his word? Or who has given heed to his word and listened? So here, the prophets are prophesying lies to the people. And he tells them, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. And here, they're telling people who despise God. They despise God that you're going to have peace. But does the Bible teach that? Does the Bible teach that there is peace for wickedness? Well, we've been doing Psalm 37 for seven weeks. And Psalm 37 teaches over and over and over again that there is peace, refuge, safety, preservation for the righteous, but not for the wicked. The wicked are going to be cut off, right? They're going to be destroyed, right? This is what's going to happen to them. But these false prophets are telling the people, no, 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 that's not the case at all. Actually, it's going to go well with you. You can be stubborn. You can live in sin. You can commit this or that sin. And God loves you just the way that you are. You're going to have peace, safety. The grace of God is there for you. This is what they're saying. And he tells them and expects them not to listen to them. Don't listen to these prophets who are prophesying to you dreams, visions of their own imagination. Right? That's where it's coming from. Yep. It's coming from their own mind and it's coming from the devil. But it's not coming from God because it contradicts the word of God. And this is very simple, obvious, easy for a person to discern and to understand. If a person is not preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins, if a person is not preaching the necessity of obedience to God, holy living, we know that they are a false teacher. That's what they were doing here. And this is the problem that you see today. No one's preaching repentance. No one's preaching the judgment of God. No one is preaching holiness and righteousness and godly living. And if you do preach those things, they'll accuse you of being a legalist. It's false love, false grace, cheap grace. This is what people want. And the reason people want it is because they can assure themselves that they're going to go to heaven and still live in their sin. They can live like a devil and then die like a saint. That's what everyone wants, to live however they want, a sinful life, indulge in whatever sin they want, and then be guaranteed that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. And there is always a full supply of false teachers who will tell people exactly what they want. They speak soothing words to the people. They tell them, though you are stubborn, right? Though you despise the Lord, it will go well with you, right? You have nothing to worry about and nothing to fear, right? So they are soothsayers. This is why they're called soothsayers because they speak soothing things to people. They tell them that everything is going to be all right. So if a person's doctrine is not consistent with the teaching of the Bible, then we know they're a false teacher and we should listen to them, okay? We should not listen to them. So the first fruit we should look for is their doctrine, their teaching, right? What are they saying? Secondly, their life. How do they live? Right? What kind of life are they living? Are they living a upright, an upright life? Are they living a godly life, a holy life, a righteous life? Again, not that they're perfect. Of course, no one is perfect. We're trying to overcome sin. But are they living an upright life, a blameless life, in the sense of they're not committing these gross sins? They're not excusing their sin. They're not committing these types of scandalous things and doing those things that false teachers do. 2 Peter chapter 2. 
Second Peter two verse one. And typically the sins are going to be fame. They want fame, right? They want popularity. Okay, so they're not committed to living a simple, quiet Christian life, a anonymous Christian life. They want fame. They want fortune, something to do with money. Okay, money exploitation of people, embezzlement of money. And then the third one is immorality, usually something to do with sex, right? These are the things that you commonly see in teachers, in false prophets, that expose them for what they truly are. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Notice that. He doesn't say few will follow them, but what? Many will follow them. Doesn't that sound like Matthew seven thirteen to 14? It is a broad road that leads to destruction, and there are many who go therein. This is the way it is. And this is, he's making a comparison between the father's generation and his generation. There were false prophets among the people of Israel and there will be false teachers among you. And in terms of Israel's history, the false prophets were many and the true prophets were few, very few and far between. And this is what he's saying will be true in our day as well. The false teachers will be many and the true teachers will be few. Okay, because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So there's greed, right? Money. They're, they want money. They do it for money. They exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct, to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in their destruction, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, and they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with a voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, 
for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. So there, it's, it is both their teaching here, but he's really emphasizing their life. Their greed, their sensuality, their insatiable desire for adultery, right, for immorality. This is what they are doing. This is the kind of people they are. So false teachers live these immoral lives. And many times there are these very popular teachers, and they'll go on for year after year after year, receiving all the praise of men, and then eventually what happens? They get found out, they get exposed, and what we suspected from the beginning, is found out, right, is found out. And then all the naysayers and critics never come back and apologize, but they just move on to their next celebrity. This is the way, this is the way it typically is. So their life exposes them, right, by their deeds. By their deeds of darkness, they are exposed. Some sins go before a man, some sins come after a man. But if someone is teaching something that is false and not true, you can be sure that there is an accompanying immorality, a sin, whether it's been made known or not yet, eventually it will be made known. Okay, so their life. We can look at their life, and by their life, the way they live, we can determine whether they are true or false. Are they living a simple, quiet Christian life? A simple, godly Christian life? And if they're not doing this, then we should reject them and have nothing to do with them. A third fruit to look at in terms of a teacher, a false teacher, would be their converts. What kind of converts are they producing, right? What kind of followers do they have? The disciple is not above the teacher, but the disciple becomes just like his teacher. So what kind of churches, what kind of converts, what is going on in these churches, in their following, among these people? Are they promoting godliness? Are the people striving for godliness, for righteous living, or are they committing all sorts of sins and lewdness that's going on within the church? And in many of these churches, there are scandalous sins that are taking place among the ranks, right? Amongst the people that are being swept under the rug. Nothing's being done about it. There's all sorts of stuff that is going on, right, all the time. One of the men down at uh, Texas, recently they recorded a thing, and um, he was telling them about some of the things that had happened in his previous church. And it was shocking to hear of the scandalous sins that were going on, and nothing was being done about it. They was all just being swept under the rug. And this is because it's not a true church, right? They don't care about righteousness. They don't care about repentance. They just want people. People and money is all that they care about. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. 
Matthew 10, 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So there, the disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. The disciple becomes like his teacher, the slave like his master. So the followers become like the person they're following. Whoever is leading them, teaching them, this is the one that they will follow and they will be like them. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that with a true teacher, there's going to be 100% conformity to his teaching or that there won't ever be a rotten apple amongst the bunch. Right? We have examples of this in terms of Judas Iscariot. Wasn't he one of the 12 disciples? Right? But he was one of the 12. Right, one of twelve, not eleven of twelve. One of twelve. Right, this was the case with him. Certainly, this was the case with Moses, with his congregation. But it that wasn't his fault. He was teaching them correctly. He was a true teacher, but God did not give them a heart to know Him. So most of his followers were unbelievers. Uh, but it wasn't because of Moses. What about Gehazi? Right, he was with Elisha, right? He had a prominent position with Elisha, and yet Gehazi uh, turned out to be a fraud and a phony as well. And then Demas. Demas was with the Apostle Paul. He traveled with him. He was with him in ministry for a moment. But then what did Demas do? He was in love with his present world, and he turned away and departed. So there, Jesus, Moses, Elisha, the Apostle Paul, they had their false followers as well. But this wasn't what was commonly true. What was commonly true in the churches, those that were associating with them, was people who were serious-minded, who were living the simple, quiet, godly Christian life, who wanted to know the truth, and who were doing those things that were pleasing to the Lord. So this would be then an evidence, a fruit, that we can look at in terms of the churches, in terms of the followers, right? What kind of people are they producing? And then lastly, a fourth one would be popularity. Popularity, celebrity, fame and fortune. How do people become celebrity pastors? How do people gain such a following and become so popular? Right, and what, again, this goes along with what we said earlier. This celebrity rises up and everyone is singing his praises Everyone is feigning uh, whenever they see him, right? They're all uh, on the bandwagon. They're sycophant followers of this person. And everything they do is good and wonderful. And if you criticize them, if you even question something about the ministry or what's going on, then you become public enemy number one. And they will uh, call you bitter and harsh. You're just uh, jealous. You're arrogant. You think you know everything. This is what people do. But how do these celebrities, how do these Popular preachers have churches of 5, 10, 15,000 people. How do they have conferences where tens of thousands of people will come and hang on every word they say? And the people are not coming for the teaching of the Bible. They're coming for the teaching of the Bible by this certain celebrity. Because if the celebrity was gone and he didn't come and some no-name was there, where would all the people go? They would all leave. Right? And many times when these celebrities are pastors of churches 
And when they step down or die one day, what happens to their churches? The people all leave. They all fizzle out and thousands of them leave because the people are coming for the celebrity, for the popularity. And Jesus tells us to beware of this, right? To beware when all men speak well of you. He actually pronounces a curse on those that are popular and have celebrity in this way. So we should be very wary when someone is a celebrity or someone gains this kind of following in this popularity, right? It should be a big red flag, but for many people, it's not. They just want to hop on the latest, greatest bandwagon and be part of this movement or that movement. But all of it is nonsense. And many times, what ends up happening with these people? A, a good example would be Robbie Zacharias, right? Did you, have y'all heard of him? Everybody knows that name? Right? Everyone thought he hung the moon. He's the greatest guy in the world, though he never quoted the Bible. He didn't teach the Bible. He was a good, slick storyteller is what he was for the most part of his whole life. And then it comes to find out that the guy was committing all sorts of immoral acts, right? For many, many years, he was doing this and justifying it. And then he gets exposed. After, well, and he died as well. Okay, so uh, this happens. So it's very, very dangerous when we follow these kinds of people before they're dead, right? They need to be proven, right? Don't they? We need to see them proven, but people will follow in this way. Also with these popular celebrity preachers, do we know them? Do we know them personally? Have you seen the way they interact with their wife, with their children, how they raise their children, what their family life is like? Do we see the way they treat their subordinates in the church, in, in these types of things? Because many of them are also tyrants. They're tyrants in the way that they behave toward their subordinates there in the church. Many people can't bear to work with these people, right? So we don't even know them. We're just seeing whatever it is that's being put out there. So again, why would we follow these people when we can't even examine their fruit, right? We can't do it. Now, again, you might say, well, then how can we listen to anyone? Well, at least with me, I'm here among you, you can see my wife, you can see my children, you can see the way I'm living week in and week out. So you can examine those things and determine, and if you see me living a godless life, an immoral life, then you should run away, right? You should flee. But how can you make these judgments when we're dealing with these popular celebrity preachers who live on islands, right, in the Bahamas, who wherever, who knows where they, where they live, right? They, they live this insulated life, and all we see is a carefully crafted image that is presented to us. So we should just stay away from it and not jump on these bandwagons like this. Luke 6, 26. Luke 6, 26. It says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So woe to you, he says, when all men speak well of you. So whenever people are speaking well of you, then it is a dangerous thing. When all men are doing this, men commonly doing this. Also, Micah, Micah chapter 2.
Micah 2.11 says, If a man walking after wind and falsehood had told lies and said, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, he would be the spokesman to this people. So here, the, the prophet who speaks wind and falsehood, he preaches to them about wine and liquor, about getting drunk, having a good time, carousing, revel, revelries, right? This is the kind of prophet these people want. Well, who wouldn't want a prophet that's preaching, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die? This is the kind of prophet the people want. One is going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. Is that prophet going to be popular? Of course he is. He's telling you it's all going to be good and great, that you can have a great time. You can live it up. You're going to have prosperity. You're going to have a long life. You're going to have safety. It's all going to be good. Jeremiah chapter 5. Verse 30. Jeremiah 5, verse 30. Jeremiah 5, 30. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? This is the appalling theme. The prophets prophesy falsely. Priests rule on their own authority. Priests should rule under God's authority, but they're doing it under their own authority, not under God's, not by his word. And are the people outraged at this? No, they love it. They love it, right? They're giving us exactly what we want. They're telling us the things that we want to hear. Peace, safety, prosperity, have a good time. Right? Live it up. This is what they're telling us. But what are you going to do when the end of it comes? What are you going to do when you die and you stand before God on the day of judgment? And you find out that that prophet was a big storyteller. Right? He was full of hot air. And he was telling you lies. And everything isn't good and great between you and God. But now it's too late. Now it's the day of judgment. And that true prophet who was preaching against those things that you were calling harsh, bitter, unloving, legalistic. Right? This is what people say of them. Well, then he's going to be proven right, and you should listen to him. But you didn't because you just wanted to live in your sin. This is the way people are. Also, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So there when he's commending to Timothy the necessity of preaching the word of Christ at all times, in season or out of season, whether the people want it or not, it doesn't matter. You just have to preach the word of God all the time. He's telling him, don't be surprised that the time will come when people are not going to want it. They're not going to want sound doctrine. They're going to want someone to tickle their ears to whisper sweet, smooth nothings into their ears and tell them it's all going to be all right. 
right? They were going to want that. Teachers, in accordance to their own desires. And what desires are we talking about here? Sinful desires, fleshly desires. And when a person wants to commit sin, are they always going to be able to find them a teacher that will give them exactly what they want? Of course they will, especially if they're willing to pay for it, right? That's the exchange that's going on between the false teacher and his listeners, right? The false teacher gives them assurance that God loves them and they're going to make it to heaven. That's what the false teacher gives them, and they can live in sin. And then the uh, follower gives him money and a platform to promote himself, fame and fortune, and people to exploit. And they're all in cahoots together, right? The false teachers... They were going to be held to a higher standard because not many of us should be teachers, according to James chapter 3. James, not many should be teachers because they're going to be held to a higher standard. But the people are also on the hook because they want it. They love it. This is what they want. They don't demand true teachers. They want false teachers. They're the ones that are supply. They're the demand side. And then the false teachers are the supply side. And it takes both of them. Right? It takes both. And this is the problem. So... All of these passages show that popularity, fame, fortune, these are signs of a false teacher, of a false teacher. And you see this in many of the celebrity pastors, right? Not just the prosperity ones, but even the ones that we would consider more conservative and more sound. They have big followings, and many of them are making millions of dollars a year. Lots of money off of the ministry. Not, not an inheritance that they received, not some good investments that they made, but they're making money peddling, selling their books, peddling conferences, doing all of this type of stuff. Even some of them charge people to listen to their sermons. You have to pay money to download their sermons to listen to them. It's all a scam, right? It's all a scam. The people should be able to see through these things. Okay, so these are fruits that we need to be looking at to determine whether someone is a true teacher or a false teacher. Verse 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Again here, the fruit is in accordance with the root. It is impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit, right? Like a false teacher does. It's impossible for a true teacher, a true prophet, to produce the bad fruit that comes from the false prophet. For them to say soothing words to people. For them to say that though you walk in the stubbornness of your heart, it'll go well with you. They're not going to do that. They're never going to do those types of things, right? So they're a good tree and they're going to produce good fruit. They're going to speak to the people the true and right way. If you walk in the stubbornness of your heart, then you will face the wrath of God. God will judge you and you must repent of your sins. That's what the true teacher is going to say. And it is also impossible for the bad tree to produce good fruit. So there in both ways, the good tree will not produce the bad fruit and the bad tree will not produce the good fruit. Now, again, of course, he doesn't mean the true prophets are perfect, that they never sin. He cannot mean that, but he means the majority of their fruit, all of their fruit is not going to be bad, or the majority of their fruit is not going to be bad. Of course, 
we all have dead branches that need to be pruned so that we will bear more fruit, right? And even Moses, the prophet, committed a sin when he struck the rock in anger. Even David, the prophet, committed a sin. But what was true of their life as a whole is that they lived godly lives, upright, righteous, godly lives that were different. Is it obvious a difference between the way David lived and the way that Saul lived? It's an obvious difference. Is there an obvious difference in the man Moses versus Balaam, the false prophet, versus Korah? There's an obvious difference between these two. There's no comparison. That's what he means. A man like Korah, a man like Balaam, will never produce a ministry like Moses. A man like Saul will never produce a ministry like David. And in the same way, a man like David, a true prophet, will never live the type of life that Saul lived. And a man, a true prophet like Moses, will never have the kind of ministry that Balaam had. No way. No way will that ever be the case. Then also, how much false teaching should we tolerate in a person? How much of what contradicts the Bible should we tolerate in a person? Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. So the dead fly ruins the whole batch of the perfumer's oil. It makes it all stink. Okay, and so a little bit of folly, a little folly, a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Right? Typically, people want to use a little wisdom and honor to justify and excuse a lot of foolishness. But here, he doesn't say that. He says a little foolishness cancels out the wisdom and honor. Right? That's the way it works. And this is the way that we have to look at people as well. So we have to look at the totality of the ministry and then judge it accordingly. Right? Judge it accordingly uh, and so that we don't fall under their spell. Then verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What will happen to the false prophets? They are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And those who follow them will be cut down with them and thrown into the fire. That's why he said at the beginning of this, beware. You have to beware because this is what we're talking about. The eternal fires of hell. Heaven or hell. This is what's on the line. Eternal life or eternal damnation. Right. That's the way we have to think of it. This is how important it is. Would you want to go to a doctor who was notorious for giving bad diagnosis to the patients, who would prescribe remedies that killed people? Would we go to a doctor that did that? What if he only did it once? What if he just did it once or twice? We wouldn't go there. What if they amputate the wrong arm a couple of times? It's just a couple of times. No one's going to go to that doctor. Right? We would run from that guy, and then if we found out one of our friends was going to that doctor, would we warn them and tell them, stay away from that guy? Of course we would. But people won't do this with false teachers. But what's more important, your physical life or your spiritual life? Right? To lose your physical arm or to go to hell? Right? The spiritual is more important. This is why we have to talk about these things. 
again, this is another criticism that we face over the years. People don't like it that we will openly, publicly denounce false teachers. But what are we supposed to do? Just keep quiet while this person sends people to hell? We can't do that. We have to talk about these things, right? We have to talk about it because this is what is on the line. Heaven and hell, eternal life and eternal death. Jude, verse 1. Jude, verse 1, says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So there, he's writing to them to contend for the faith against false teachers. These certain persons who have crept in unnoticed, marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons. They turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Isn't this what's common today? The grace of God is used to promote sin, right? It's all about grace. It's all about love. You got to preach grace, 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 grace. Did I say? Did I say grace? Because that's what we got to talk about all the time. But not righteousness, not godliness, not holiness. If you say that, you're a legalist. If you, well, especially if you say commandments or rules. They really hate those words. Then you're a legalist. Well, isn't that what happens in these churches, in these ministries? That it's all grace all the time. And it's not true grace. If they were preaching true grace, then good and fine. But true grace teaches us to renounce sin. But this isn't true grace. Because this grace teaches us to live in sin. That it doesn't matter. We're all going to make it. It's all covered by the grace of Christ. They're using the grace of Christ... See, they're blasphemers. They take the name of Christ in vain, and they take the grace of Christ in vain. They use what the Bible tells us is to lead to holiness in overcoming of sin, and they use it for the exact opposite, to promote sin and licentiousness. And they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ because they say we don't have to obey Him. Well, it's uh, Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's about love. It's about grace. Right? We don't have to talk about commandments and rules. That's the Old Testament. That was for Israel. That's legalism. These are the things that they will say. And then it leads to licentiousness. Godly, ungodly living, because that's what they are, ungodly people. Now, verse 5. I desire to remind you, though you know all things, once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality when after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh, 
and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you, without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees, without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea cast up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Now, do these sound like sincere, well-intentioned, innocent, sweet little people? Cuddly little teddy bears? No. These are deadly, dangerous, detestable creatures. That's the way he's describing them. That's the way we have to look at it. And what's going to happen to these people on the day of judgment? They're going to burn, right? They're going to burn in the lake of fire. They're going to be destroyed, right? And he gave many examples in the past of what's going to happen to these people in the future, right? We don't want to associate with Cain, Balaam, and Korah, do we? We don't want to associate with Sodom and Gomorrah, with fallen angels, with the wilderness generation. Those are not people that we want to associate with on the day of judgment. But that's who these people associate with. This is what they are like. This is who they are. So if we follow them, then we're going to go to hell with them. And that's why we have to be on guard against false teachers and speak about them and warn others as well. Right? Warn others about these things. Okay, then verse 20 says, So then, you will know them by their fruits. They're the summary. I've told you, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. The bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I've told you what kind of people they are. They look like sheep, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I've warned you of the danger. I've told you that grapes cannot come from thorns, and thorns are not grown on a grape vine. So be on guard. Be on guard, and you're going to know them by their fruit. Look at their fruit, look at their life, the way that they live, and this is the way that you will be able to determine whether or not these are true or false teachers. One last passage, Romans 16, verse 17. Romans 6, verse 17. It says, Now I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. Notice that. They cause dissensions and hindrances to the teaching which you have learned. The true teaching of the apostles, 
and the prophets, they are trying to undermine them and turn people away from them, right? And he says, no, you turn away from those people. So if they seek to lead you away from the truth, you turn away from them. Why? For such men are not slaves, are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. They don't serve Christ. They serve their appetites. And what kind of appetites are we talking about here? Fleshly, sinful, evil appetites. Their belly, their God is their belly. Their lust, right? These are the things, their love for money. This is what they serve. Not Christ, but their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They're smooth talkers. They're winsome. They're charming, right, in the way that they come across. They flatter people. They give effusive praise to them. They tell them how wonderful they are, right? And, and when they do this, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting, the naive, the simple, right, those who are not trained. They fall under them because they think, oh, this guy, he's so nice. He's a great guy. He, he tells me I'm a wonderful person all the time. Who doesn't like this guy, right? This is the way they do. For the report of your obedience has reached you all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So he doesn't want them falling under these false teachers, but wants them continuing to live an obedient life, uh, to be wise to good and innocent to what is evil. Right, to innocent to evil. And this goes along then with what we read earlier from Deuteronomy 13. Right, if these people are so dangerous, then why does Christ allow them to come into the church? To test us. To test us. To see if we're going to be wholly true to the Lord our God. Or are we going to turn away after myths and follow those who will give us our own desires and passions in the very things that we want. Okay, well, I think we'll stop right there for tonight. We've dealt with a lot of, of issues here and a lot of passages that we've looked at. And then next week, we'll finish out the rest of the chapter. We shouldn't have any problem there um, in verse 20, 21 through the remainder. So there's a lot to process there in terms of false teachers, but something that we have to take very seriously. And how many books of the Bible are warning against false teachers? In one way or another, all of them are constantly warning against these things. How many of the books of the New Testament, especially the epistles, were written because of false teachers that were coming into the church? But we have nothing to worry about today. Everything's great. Everyone's swell. They're all swell people. They all mean well, and we're all going to go to heaven. This is the way people think, but this isn't the way it is. right? Even there in the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches, multiple of those churches had false teachers within them, and they weren't dealing with it. They weren't dealing with it, but they were tolerating them. And Jesus is chiding them, warning them what he's going to do. If they don't, if they don't do it, he's going to come and do it. So we have to take this very, very seriously. Okay. All right, well, we'll stop there, and we've got a few minutes for any questions or comments. So does anyone have any questions or comments that they would like to add to what we talked about tonight?